Hello and welcome to episode 4 of the one and only podcast out here bringing you the news every day about what Commander Shepard was up to. It's Normandy FM, the Mass Effect Retrospective Podcast. I'm your co-host, Eric Van Allen, alongside my other co-host, Kenneth Shepard. Go, go, go! Go, go, go. Go, go, go. Man. Enemies everywhere! <laughs> Ken, you're the one who has to do the audio work after this, so I'm glad you're doing this to yourself. <laughs> yeah, you, you don't have to deal with it. So I just, it. <laughs> I, I'm fully aware of the decision that I'm making and what they'll cost me later. Um... We have exciting news this week, so because putting things online costs money, and mostly for that reason alone, we are launching a Patreon. Yep, we're finally selling out. It's it's happened. You know, sometimes bills gotta get paid. But the good news is, if you go out and you support our Patreon, you'll be able to contribute to us, help us offset some of the hosting costs for this podcast, and contribute to some other stuff. We've got some cool goals up there, uh, potential to play some of the DLC, uh, which we are, some of them we are planning to do for story critical reasons, but other ones we kind of like to have segmented out into their own episode and their own thing. And so if you donate to us, if if you give us cash, you can help us get towards those goals. And But really, it's just to help us keep this thing going. Uh, first and foremost, we just want to keep this podcast going. So if you are listening, if you're playing along, if you like this, please consider donating. Any amount is more than enough. Uh, we're just happy to be doing this and happy for everybody that's been tuning in, listening along. Uh, every play count means the world to us. So go check it out. It'll be patreon.com slash normadyfm, I believe. I think we secured that one. Yeah, I think we're... <laughs> I don't, we got there some isn't a World War II D-Day podcast yeah. <laughs> that's also running. Um, yeah, and like beyond the DLC, like... In the event that we get to certain goals, we want to maybe branch out to other games and other series. Like after we finish Mass Effect, of course, like um, we've like the first goal we've got is from Mass Effect Andromeda, so we can move beyond Commander Shepard and then maybe look into Dragon Age and other Bioware games as things go on. So look into that. It turns out that when I told Kenneth that he would have to pay me to play Andromeda, he took that a little bit differently than I expected him to. <laughs> and so that's how the Patreon started. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mathematics and Andromeda is good. That is the official anyway. Normandy FM stance on this. Not matter. the official. That is official. Fifty percent of Norm. You don't have the popular vote, sir. Mm. We're taking this to the Supreme Court of Normandy FM. We'll get Blake Hester from Game Query in here. <laughs> All right. So now that we've got the uh, the shilling out of the way, let's get into the real money moves the real topic of the day we are on novaria and ken let me tell you novaria is 
maybe one of my favorite parts of the entire Mass Effect series. I know that oh, sounds okay. weird to say, but like as as a whole mission, it is really the th- it is the thing that sticks out to me every time I think about Mass Effect One. Mm. There there are the the larger storyline implications that that happen later on in the game and other missions like Vermeer and Ilos, but and they have their moments, but as a as an actual gameplay mission mm. and as a thing that is its own self-contained thing as well, it, its own self-contained experience, it's just really really solid to me. Uh how do you how do you feel about Novaria or how did you feel about Novaria going into this? Uh the first half of it, I think is actually like a really it, you don't have a lot of missions like as the series goes on that are like the first half of Novaria, where you're more relying on like your ability to coerce people into whatever you want, and this, that comes from things like the charm and intimidate options, and just kind of like knowing your way around people. Um, the latter half of it, I think, is actually some of the most garbage stuff in the whole game, and that's not necessarily to any fault of its own, but it's just more of like it's where the worst parts about Mass Effect One, I think, are spotlighted. In a way that was probably fine 11 years ago, but now it's just a pain in the ass. Um, so, I, I do really like Novaria just from that first half, which, again, I think doesn't really get repeated. Especially not in this game. Like, it, there's nothing like especially it Especially not. Yeah, when, when you kind of, when you touch down, in, uh, and this is where my country is going to come out throughout the entire podcast, in Port Hanshan, <laughs> uh, in Port Hanshan, uh, and you you land, and immediately this place is lived in in a way that you only really see the Citadel otherwise being, because all the other places that you go, Eden Prime, Vermeer, Ilos, Pharos, uh, and and that place where Liara was for some reason owned herself. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, they're all kind of these feral wildlands still being settled. And Novaria is a place that is actually lived in by people, and you can tell there are things happening. And like you said, that everything isn't really ultimately settled by conflict. It is settled by words and different things happening in it. And that's reflected in the way that there are multiple critical paths to get you from I'm landing in Port Hanshan to I need to get to the garage, get my Mako, and drive to Peak 15, which is, you know, the whole mission is you're looking for Matriarch Venezia, you're trying to figure out why she's on Novaria, what she's doing, and you're kind of trying to unravel the threads of what Saren might be up to here, because the whole place is just this giant, uh, evil dystopian planet where corporations can just conduct the dumbest research possible (laughs) and just commit crimes against humanity and as long as they have enough money it's all good it's all okay i mean they are basically in this deserted snowy area where no one else would dare to go to so yeah i i'm just saying i was looking for an amazon warehouse while i was while i was driving the mako (laughs) around that's all i'm saying (laughs) so Mm. But that that stuff is really cool to me because it also feels like it fleshes out the world around Mass Effect. Because take, for example, the Liara mission. You learn a lot about Liara and you learn a lot about, let's say, the Protheans. But you don't really learn more about the universe that mm. exists in the here and now. Whereas in Novaria, you're getting all this flavor, dialogue... And, and even when you're learning about Saren, you know, oh, he's 
Binary Helix. He's a major shareholder in Binary Helix. And there's all these other corporations that are there and they provide security in exchange for this and things like that. And you're kind of getting a sense of, okay, this is what the world or even the galactic economy looks like. These are the major players. It's cool because then you can start to go like, hey, I remember this company was mentioned when I was talking to administrator Analeas and they make the assault rifle that I'm literally using right now in combat. It's just this cool sort of interweaving. And I think that's why it clicked with me a lot was it started to give me a sense that I was part of a much greater whole instead of this, the same sort of, oh, I'm a hero running around saving the day sort of thing. It's like, I'm just trying to operate in this world like so many people are. And that's really reflected in the side quests that you do while you're doing this too, because you have the main quest where you can either... Did you Have you ever turned in the, the Hanar that tries to get you to smuggle stuff in? No, because, I mean, there was part of me with this mission, because, like, there's a lot of, like, these little side narratives going on, but part of me, I didn't really feel like I should... I didn't feel like being bothered by a lot of it, just because it's, like, to some extent, the things that you can do as Shepard in this feel petty, and, like, why do I need mm-hmm. to get that into your business? Like, because there's... Like, so even throughout Nuveria, like, not even just on um, the port, but, like, when you actually get to P15, there are, like, little things happening that you can, if you feel like it, get your hands dirty with. But it's just, like, I'm here for Venezia, so I didn't necessarily take it upon myself to, like, be that involved in what was going on. So, like, it was more of just, like, not that I didn't, like, go off and do side quests, but it was just, like, more, like, what is in the actual field of view of what I'm here for? Like, what exactly is it, what makes sense for Shepard to actually bother with? I guess that's the way I looked at it. So that's the way you can take it, because my when I was playing, I'm always like, oh yeah, I want to get involved in this corporate espionage. I want to do all this intrigue. I want to stick a device in my pocket and try and talk to a dude and make him talk to me long enough that I hack his pocket thing so we can steal stuff off of his company's internet. <laughs> and mm-hmm. like, There's just all these sort of silly little things like that. There is one thing... I'm glad we both, uh, did we both independently stumble upon this? Because I had forgotten it existed, and then uh, through an accident it happened, and I was like, oh no, it doesn't really still work, does it? And it did. The exploit? Uh, Yeah, the exploit for Paragon slash Renegade points uh, with one of the characters in on the critical path to getting, or on one of the critical paths to getting a garage pass, Lorkeen, you can potentially max out your paragon or renegade points by just repeating a conversation loop with him over and over and over again and uh listeners at home i am not uh without sin (laughs) i am i am uh i am a paragon though i am a fully fledged paragon the game says so so you cannot judge me for what i have done (laughs) so i when I didn't. I forgot. I'd completely forgotten about it until you mentioned it to me, and then so like I had a save that was like a, like maybe like twenty minutes back. So like it wasn't like a whole lot of time lost. So I did go back and do it, and it wasn't necessarily because I wanted to like ha- just have my full renegade. Uh, it was just like there had already been points where I was missing out on intimidation options. Yeah, and it was yeah. like they basically do it that way. So like you'll come back and do it on New Game Plus and like see the other options. But uh, we are on a time crunch here. We got to get to Mass Effect Two, and I'm like, I just, I need this for the sake of like, do do it for the podcast was basically my mindset. 
Um, do it for the podcast. Yeah. That's that's our motto around here. Mm-hmm. Do it for the podcast. We have that same thing from The Simpsons, but instead of baggy, it's just pictures of me and Kenneth. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like I did it because there is one decision in particular uh, that we will be coming up on very soon that is one of the more critical things that happens in Mass Effect 1 and requires you to have some Paragon or Renegade built up. And I wanted to ensure that I was golden for that. So I maxed out Paragon. I am maxed out Charm. We will not have issues there. And that's usually how I play games. Even when I play stuff like Deus Ex and, uh, and Dragon Age and things like that, I always try to be the the charismatic guy the guy who gets by on words rather than um violence just because that's i think that's more of a fun character to role play than every once in a while you want to be the the dumb barbarian but usually Mm. you want to do that in a game that's like diablo or something uh when i'm playing more dialogue heavy games like this i like being able to see all the dialogue so doing that was kind of nice and it also reminded me of how antiquated this system can feel with its the way it handles Paragon and Renegade. Right. I mean, we've talked about the way, like, just the morality dynamics of Paragon and Renegade a lot, but just the actual systems in place, the fact that it's split between Paragon and Renegade and then Charm and Intimidate, and those are gated by different levels, and then you have to. I, I want to say later in the series, it makes it so you just can choose either option and it will give you more points. And then right. there are some 3%. gates. But yeah. yeah, once it got to that point, and eventually I think Bioware really got there later on with Dragon Age Inquisition, where they were just like, and obviously those are two different teams, but uh, when they got there with Dragon Age Inquisition, we're like, how about we just have an icon that says what the thing does? Right. <laughs> and and so I'm hoping it eventually gets to that point with whatever is next for the Mass Effect team. Uh, I would like a little eye with a tear on it that shows me that I'm about to be Sad Shepherd, so or Sad whoever it might be, like sad, like Mass Effect Andromeda, like like Mass Effect Andromeda. <laughs> hey. Look, if you want me to experience sad, sad shepherd or sad, sad, what is it? Rider is Rider. that the name of the yes. writer? Sad writer. Uh, donate to the Patreon. You know, make sure, <laughs> make sure you contribute so you can listen to Kenneth drag me through this mess. Through the very good game. Okay, the the mostly good game. The pr- the pretty good game. Okay, I'll take your word for it. I I got about I got about maybe four hours into it was like jesus fucking christ four hours is maybe uh, we'll talk about this later we can talk about this another time when there are not people here listening to i don't want to fight in front of the podcast listeners okay i don't want to <laughs> all right so all right. finally we get into the garage might have killed some uh, security forces along the way you know things happen it's not always a, a happy ending for everybody here on normandy fm but <laughs> Uh, you get to the garage, and surprise, the Geth are there. And it turns out that those big crates that Benezia had brought in with her were a bunch of Geth. Who would have thunk? Wait, so, I don't know how that gets through security checks, but sometimes it'd be like even, that. They even say that. They say, wait, how those get through security checks? We checked for literally everything that could possibly be a weapon. And I'm like, cool, so 
even in the future there are people like inventing robots to get through tsa that's that's not <laughs> scary <laughs> so uh but finally you take out some geth and, and the combat I, I remember the garage scene in particular the first time the very first time i played mass effect i have no idea why i i have some idea why that first garage fight on Novaria repeatedly dunked me. Mm. And, and and I was prepared for it this time. I had a sense of what was coming. But even then, I think this is one of the first times that you fight some of the larger Geth outside of the Mako. Not the armatures and stuff like that, but the uh, I think they're called the Juggernauts. They're the ones that run at you uh, right. really fast. Yeah. And those combined with the little weird walkie voldo from soul caliber looking things mm. uh can really mess you up it can really make you have a bad day so yeah. it, we have some more combat thoughts on our on our show notes ken has has listed some combat thoughts i'm still i'm still somewhere in the middle with where i am with the combat uh it, it's getting better now that i'm unlocking more abilities that i'm not dumping points into intimidate or charm and, and other things, I'm finally like, okay, I have Master Unity now, and I have Master, uh, the one that makes your assault rifle basically have no overheat, and, and things mm. like that. It's getting a little bit better. Uh, and my squad mates have armor now, so they don't die in, like, two shots. How are you feeling about the the combat in this game at this point? I'm starting to warm up on it, not in a... I don't think it's good, I still think it sucks and it's terrible and I hate it, but, like, I'm starting to to, like, I guess get more of a grasp of what they were going for. Because it is more of this, uh... I mean, it is more like an RPG. Like, it's more tactical. It's, like, more methodical than, I guess, like... Especially where it ends up. Because, like, Mass Effect 2 and 3 and Andromeda are fairly straightforward shooters in that regard. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's just, like... I guess I'm learning to take my time with it more. And not, like, even though I am supposed to be the tank as a Vanguard, which is fake news, whatever. Um, I can't just rush in and just fuck everything up like I can in later games. And I have to be this. I have to be like, pay more to like, pay more attention to where people are. I can't just run in after one person when there's probably like two or three to my left, and I just didn't see them, and they're gonna fuck me up if I go for this guy. Um, maybe send in my squad before I go in myself, so they can take some fire. Because if I die, the game's over. But if they, because I guess they don't have any way of reviving me. Um, so I'm not, like I, I get what they were going for. I don't think it's well executed, but it's like now them sort of remembering how this game is supposed to be played. I'm running into fewer walls than I did, like, say, when we were uh, recruiting Liara and had to get to the things that we would get one shot. It's like, I'm, le- I'm having less of those problems because I'm just learning how to play it in a way that is more strategic. I'm wondering, so when you play Vanguard, do you usually kind of play forward and stuff like that? Because I'm finding that as Soldier... I'm having to sit back a lot because a lot of my squad's damage output is my giant sniper rifle that literally overheats after a single round but can like one shot any enemy in this game if if Shepard can hold her breath long enough to not be (laughs) swinging it all over the place the the scopes way is is something else in this game it really is but it's uh I'm finding that I don't know, the the combat in later games, I, I, all I remember is that I become a vanguard and it all, in, all I have just ingrained in my mind is the animation for charge and then mm. a shotgun blast. Literally. And I, yeah. That's yeah. just the game once you become vanguard in like Mass Effect 2 and 3. Right. 
and so like I generally do hang back more in Mass Effect 1 but I also somehow I guess by the time that we get 100 years in the future shotguns seem to be a long range weapon because like I can pretty reliably beat anything that sent like kind of not even mid range but like a little bit further with a shotgun mm-hmm. somehow uh, and I said like I don't even really need some of the upgraded uh, abilities for that because like there's uh, Carnage which is like Basically, like, a grenade launch out of the shotgun, which is a thing that apparently they can do in the future. Um, so, I don't know, like, it's... There's, like, a, there's a problem with this game, like, the way that it has to, like, differentiate classes, because it seems to do it in relatively arbitrary ways, which is, like, to give... Un, like, you're untrained on sniper rifles and assault rifles if you're a vanguard, so, like, I... Yeah. They're basically useless, because, like, that means I can't, like, zoom in at all. Um... But wait, you can't you can't scope on the cipher rifle at all. It's, nope, it's just hip fire only. That's amazing. Yep. I kind of love that. <laughs> but it's like, oh, I'm a vanguard, un- so I'm an idiot now. I don't know how to yeah. look into a scope. <laughs> like Shepard's just like, what is what's this thing on the top of my rifle? Why is it here? It just like tears it off <laughs> and shoots it. <laughs> this shotgun yeah. has a really long barrel. I don't know what's up with it. <laughs> yeah, and they they sort of like. In Mass Effect 2, they kind of went a little bit further with that, and it, I don't know if it was necessarily better where they just, like, you straight up can't equip other weapons. Because, like, Vanguard, I think, can only have, like, a pistol, a submachine gun, and a shotgun in Mass Effect yeah. 2. Yeah. But then in Mass Effect 3, they give you more freedom in that regard, where, like, you have these weapons, you ha- like, you have all the weapons to your, at your disposal, but, like, you can only have so many if you're a Vanguard. Like, you can only have, like, two. Cause, like, I, I think so that's I, the best way I did of handling too. it. Because, yeah. like, I, I put my shotgun and some machine gun because I know those are the ones I know I'm going to use. So I don't have, right. like, all this shit on me that I'm never going to actually fire. And eventually you get to a point where it's like, okay, I'm not giving Rex a new sniper rifle. He's not going to use a new right. sniper rifle. Liara's, Liara and Tali are pretty much on pistol duty the whole time. Garrus mm-hmm. gets the good stuff because he's my boy. <laughs> and it, you, you start to delineate it, but even then there's just so much in this game that so so much loot and and so many the the rounds and the modifications which are kind of cool in a vacuum when you're just doing them for shepherd right but the more that you start to go okay well these combat encounters are getting kind of difficult so maybe i should start to give things and not you know leave level one items on my squad mates and stuff Uh, especially because i brought liara along who comes you know with no new stuff it's it's right. just base stuff for her so i was having to to kit her out because you you bring liara on novaria that's what you do come on that's <laughs> well i i don't normally i have not normally brought liara onto novaria for my my mindset was i never wanted her to have to be there to kill her mom because i knew that was what it was gonna like lead to uh-huh. there's a test of loyalty right here okay you're new on this ship and you gotta earn you gotta make your bones okay that's what we're doing here <laughs> This is Archie Andrews making his bones right here. It's Liara. Oh, why, why, when I made the Make Your Bones reference, did I go to Riverdale instead of the many mob movies I've also seen? I, Riverdale Lord. has poisoned my mind. Sound about <laughs> right. I don't know, like, well, I, I normally have Caden and Rex just, like, with me through the entire game, and I originally was, I originally went into Novaria like that. Like, I'm going to take them, and then, but then Caden with Puppy Dog Eyes looks at me and says, we should probably bring Liara along. Maybe she can help. Maybe she'll know something that can like give us an edge in this whole conflict. And so right. I was like, you're right. 
and so then, we will we will talk more about this later i don't want to cannibalize the the good content uh, mm-hmm. We will get to this later, listeners. I promise. Don't worry. Uh, there, there are things I want to say about this, but they will come up at a later point. Uh, you do, however, get to kind of check Liara when you first go in. She has a little dialogue thing where uh, you you kind of talk to her, and she's like, "Hey, you know, I'm loyal to you. I don't care about my mom." And you're you can kind of be like, "It's okay. I trust you." Or be like. Look, you gotta, like I just said, you gotta earn your bones. You gotta, <laughs> uh, and then we kill the Geth, and it's the return of the Mako. What it is, what it was, what it is, what it isn't. Mm. <laughs> like, I wasn't gonna make that joke again. Like, I wasn't gonna make that joke in the pre show and then make it in the show itself and then say it again in the post show and then tweet it out like two days from now. Like, come on. Well, I hope it was all worth it. Uh, fun fact about the Mako, specifically on Novaria, the first time I played it, again, this is a first time Mass Effect story many years ago. Young Eric, who had to get his mom to go with him to buy Mass Effect because it was an M rated <laughs> game and the Best Buy clerk wouldn't let me buy it by myself. <laughs> uh, I went flying off the cliff right away because i figured hey the mako's an all-terrain vehicle i can probably just hop this jump and be fine and i had a save at the start of port hanshan that was the one it dumped me back to so i always have fond memories whenever i boot up the mako section of novaria because of that and i always have those memories and then save uh Mm. really just as often as possible. <laughs> yeah, I'm at that point now where, like, I save before and after every fight in this game now. Yeah, it's it, it can get brutal. And and so you drive the Mako through. It's it's kind of a normal Mako track. There's some dumb stuff where you can kind of pick off turrets from really, really far away, but mm. you're mostly just kind of driving along and, oh, hey, look, there's a crate. Pop out, pick it up, pop back in. Hey, there's a turret. Shoot it with the cannon twice. And it, it it's basic Mako stuff. I, there... It's not even necessarily that the Mako itself is bad. It's that they didn't really think of many things for you to do with the Mako besides mm-hmm. drive along a set path and shoot things that take X number of cannon shots to hit that make it feel very rudimentary and mechanical and just not very involved compared to the rest of this game. Mm-hmm. And so... I think that more than anything is probably the reason why we don't see the Mako until again until Andromeda because man that stuff sucked. <laughs> yeah. And they but, like uh, getting to like Mass Effect 2 they did other vehicle things but like that brought, like all the things of the Mako were fixed oh, but they God, had their right, own problems. Did. It's like it like it's, like I said in the last podcast it took them four games to figure out how to make something that at least was functional and seemed meaningful in the relation to the rest of the game um i forgot yeah. that more vehicle stuff happens yeah that hammerhead oh god the hammerhead i believe oh. cortez makes the joke in mass effect 3 that it's made out of tissue paper because it takes like three shots and then you're done god is it that was a dlc right it was dlc yeah that was probably why i don't remember it as well because i did not spend much time with the mass effect 2 dlc uh mm. this is a fun thing to announce to ken on the podcast uh, I have never actually personally played through Lair of the Shadow Broker. Holy shit! 
I know, right? <laughs> you romance Liara and everything. Yeah. No. So, look, I was at a stage in my life where I was just kind of playing video games to play video games. I wasn't the manic, obsessive professional that I am now. Mm. And so I was like, DLC, I already beat the game. I'm not going to go back and play more of it. Why would I do that? I've got Modern Warfare 2 to be playing. <laughs> Good lord. So, okay. So you're telling me that all of the DLCs that we have set on the Patreon to play will be the first time you've ever played them? Uh, let me think. I've done any of them that are characters, except for Kasumi, uh, because Kasumi okay. was post-launch, I believe. Right. Uh, so I've played Zaid's stuff, and I've played Javik's stuff, because that was at launch. Right. But uh, for two, I did not want to go back and play it again, because I was just kind of like okay I'm, I'm done that was my my run of the game I, I liked it very very much at the time it was probably my my favorite game of all time mm-hmm. and uh and i was happy with it and i did want to go back to it and my brother told me all the time about how good uh lair of the shadow broker and and the other stuff was mostly lair of the shadow broker mm-hmm. <laughs> uh and, and obviously, eventually, I went back and I, I kind of read up on what happens, and I watched some YouTube clips of you know what happens if it, this is what happens if you were a male ship and you romance Liara and stuff like mm. that. Uh, so I, I devoured it that way. Uh, I have never played Arrival. I've never played whatever the Hammerhead thing is, and I've never played Citadel. So, well, this is gonna be a fucking experience then. So, if you want the experience of me playing those for the first time, let me tell you before we go to break that there is a Patreon that will be live as of the time of this airing. Uh, go to patreon.com slash normdfn and contribute money to make me play things that I have never played before and listen to me talk about them to you. I swear at some point we won't have like constant references to the Patreon throughout the episode, but... Since we are launching this week, it feels very pertinent that we should Speak mention it as many times possible. Okay, Speak fine. Speak for yourself, Ken. I, I'm fine. Speaking <laughs> for myself. You're not the one who's currently footing the bill for the for the SoundCloud. Let's put it that way. Fair. <laughs> Donate to the Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. On that note, let's go to break. Uh, hear from some of our lovely friends, and we'll be back in just a moment. I'm Commander Shepard, and this is my favorite store on the Citadel. Imagine this, if you will. You've just sat down with a large cup of gamer fuel, ready to drown out the terrible dialogue in the latest AAA shooter by listening to your favorite podcast instead. But everything has changed. The hosts aren't funny, they have terrible chemistry, and worst of all, they won't take every last opportunity to ridicule the terribly untalented media personalities that dominate the industry. Everything you thought you loved has turned into a constant source of disappointment and dismay. Well, pal... That's not seasonal depression calling, that's just bad taste. For a fresh, fierce podcast experience, experts recommend Game Query. Farm-raised and delivered fresh directly to your ear holes once every few weeks when we actually decide to record. Listeners in Normandy FM are privileged to a special discount code at checkout. Use the code NEVERSTOPSNIPING outside your neighbor's house until they file a restraining order against you, and the official Game Query Twitter account will retweet your court subpoena. Game Query, the official podcast of not being a punk. Download wherever podcasts can be found and give us your money at Patreon slash GameQuery. And follow us on Twitter or some shit, but I don't remember our handle, so you're just going to have to fucking figure that out yourself. I'm Commander Shepard, and this is my favorite store on the Citadel. And we're back. 
to talk about some of the fun topics here on Normandy FM. The things that we love to talk about. Matricide. <laughs> who doesn't, doesn't love a good bit of that? George R. R. Martin, a famous fan of Normandy FM, is mm. thrilled about this episode. Friend of the show. Friend of the show. <laughs> Friend of the show. So we're heading to Peak 15 and the Hot Labs, which is not just the thing that I call my bedroom. But <laughs> good lord. <laughs> the, uh, the Hot Labs of Peak 15, where some stuff has been going down and... Right when you get in, you fight some Geth, and, and it's immediately clear that, that things have gone awry. There are disheveled offices, and obviously there are giant robot evil things everywhere, but something else is clearly amiss. And then they show up. The Rachni! Those spider I, boys. The thing that always amazes me about Novaria is that all the all the other missions, really, in all of Mass Effect, have one clear uh, aesthetic and and goal and objective, and the way that you play through it and the setting and the theme and everything are very clear. But Novaria is this very two very drastic mm. uh, halves of a whole. You have the corporate espionage and the the world building and all that as you're getting out of Port Hanshan. And then, all all podcasts, I've been trying to say that right, and five bucks says I'm probably still pronouncing it wrong, and I should just go back to my country bumpkin pronunciation of Hanshan. <laughs> at least, at least it's intentional there. So like you, you're like absolved of all guilt. You know, uh, bringing Kadan down to Hanshan oh, oh, for a hoedown. <laughs> uh. But so you have the first half, which is the port, and you're getting the garage pass, and it's all corporate espionage. But then you get into the horror section, and I know that you've got thoughts about the actual gameplay parts of this. But the thing that always struck me about Novaria that I didn't really know how to phrase until I was reading things earlier this year about another horror thing, uh, the haunting of Hill House. is that horror can be used as a storytelling and thematic device. And the way that it kind of develops this dynamic between mother and daughter with both the Rachni Queen right. and her children and Benezia and Liara makes me realize why Bioware is always like, hey, you should really bring Liara on this because that's not really apparent if you don't bring Liara. And again, not to keep spoiling things that we will get to eventually in literally 10 minutes, but (laughs) it's, it's really interesting to see that sort of thing develop under the guise of horror. But I love that it turns into this weird dead spacey type Mm. survival horror, not survival really, but just trying to uh, deal with all these creatures that you later learn are the Rachni, which are definitely mm. not the bad, evil alien race from Ender's Game. Don't <laughs> don't think too much about it. It's definitely not them. Uh, and and all the the evils that this corporation has wrought coming to fruition. So, Ken, what what do you think about this section leading up to the the big Benezia confrontation with all the Rachni and the sort of survival horror, having to turn all the power back on, doing all that sort of stuff. Uh, I think 
like a lot of things in Mass Effect. I don't know that it's aged, like the actual horror aspects of it has aged as well, because like it, the Rachni aren't like they're the way that they move and function. Like from a game perspective, they don't really do much that is scary. That is really different from a lot of other things. Um, and like they can like poison you, which like they have different sort of uh, attacks, but they don't necessarily tactics wise do anything different. So like I don't know that I necessarily. Like, the horror aspect of it really aged that well. Uh, like, ver especially versus something like from Mass Effect 2 or 3, because, like, they have similar horror pivots later in those games. Like, uh, the Ardok Yachi Monastery in Mass Effect 3, and uh, just, like, actually generally a lot of the enemies in Mass Effect 3, are they could reasonably be considered horror. Um, so, I don't know. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I, I appreciate it, like, from sort of a, like a time and place thing, but it, I don't necessarily know that I buy it as a horror mission anymore. And that's, that's kind of just the nature of, like, games in general. Like, they age more quickly than most other media does. As as the series gets older, and, and obviously as games get more impressive, AI gets better, this definitely doesn't hold up to your alien isolations uh, and, and things like that. And, and even then, I imagine five, ten years from now, alien isolation will look goofy compared right. to uh, what we have in the future. And, and horror itself in games is always sort of a weird thing because I, I'm somebody who doesn't like horror games. And that's right. not because I don't like getting scared. I'm, I'm that, that's okay. why I don't like them. I'm okay with getting scared. So the thing that I like about survival horror, and one of the games that I'm actually looking forward to this coming year is Resident Evil 2, the, the remake mm -hmm. that they're doing right. of that. I never actually played the original as well. There are a lot of games that I'm just getting to, to re-experience all over again thanks to the magic of remakes. <laughs> something that the Mass Effect trilogy does not have and could use. But, Very much so. Uh, the thing that, that horror can do is it, it, it gets aesthetic so right. well. And it understands how to tell stories within a game space without necessarily having to explicitly tell you things. And and other games have done this as well. I was playing Red Dead Redemption 2 recently, where there are uh, places that you can stumble upon, houses that... Uh, there's there's one very famous one that's, that's called the Death House, which is you go in there and there's just uh, skeletons everywhere and this mm. fog that kind of seeps out, but there's not really an explanation for what happens, and you're just kind of left to surmise. The game doesn't tell you. And those are the aspects of horror that I like a lot more than what horror games end up being, which kind of just feel like playing hide-and-go-seek with a dumb right. robot. Right. So uh, I really appreciate when games like Mass Effect take the foray into horror. And, and I mentioned it earlier, things like Dead Space and things like that are, are the sort of things that I look for in in horror games and so getting to re-experience this and and see some of that stuff was really cool but you you're totally on the nose as far as the rachni in this game pretty dumb and yeah. while that thematically and canonically and storyline also kind of makes sense there right. you can also just tell they are hitched on a certain set path and rotation and you can see the the gears turning right as it were so uh, that that stuff is kind of lost, but just the general atmosphere of everything was going okay, and then suddenly it, it went from everyone's having a normal day to everyone's just getting massacred by right. this thing gone wrong is really interesting. And, and as you go further in, the horror isn't just 
about the Rachni potentially popping out at any moment, but you also have this sort of looking over your shoulder moment when you stumble upon the group of survivors that have been holed up for a while and you start talking to the different scientists and things like that 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 survived the Rachni, the initial Rachni outbreak and they start to mention, man, the guards really tensed up when you got here, almost like they were expecting you. And right. you start to feel like you think that you're chasing Benezia and you're hunting her right. when really it might be more she's leading you into a trap. And I just want to wrap up by saying that the atmosphere that Peak 15 develops is just really, really incredible. It's, it, it, it's, it nails the suspense in a way that the rest of the game doesn't. And it's not yeah. even just, like, the suspense of something might be about to attack you. It's just, like, there is something amiss here. Uh-huh. Right. Um, I'm going to say, though, it. I forgot, com- I completely forgot about, like, if you walk past the guards and, like, go and... Because, like, that's, that's the thing, is, like, it doesn't telegraph that to you. So, like, I haven't played this game in 11 years, so, like, I don't know how to maximize content, as, as I will say. Like, I don't know, like, these are things, like, I had this game memorized 11 years ago. Like, I knew where everybody was. I knew exactly which dialogue to pick to get whatever I needed to get done. Um, I completely forgot about all of that. And so, as things went on, I did not get to experience any of those quests. You didn't go back and fix it? You didn't, like, load a save or anything? You no, because, like, by then I was, like, I was ready to get <laughs> off of the fucking snowy planet. <laughs> get anything. You True Renegade right here. <laughs> get it do- Get it done, man. Like, nope. Anybody got time for stuff? Ken does not care about body counts. He just cares about getting stuff done. Yeah. Uh, so once you finally get through all that, and yeah, so, I I also did forget one thing, which is that uh, after the Benezia fight, which we were about to talk about, I promise. Uh, if you if you go up that elevator, it puts you behind a bunch of guards, but in a place you're not supposed to be, and that turns everybody on you as well. And so I, I literally saved and then went up that elevator thinking it was where the Benezia fight was, and instead was like, uh-oh, I screwed up, I need to go back. So, mm. yeah, there's a lot of stuff in this game that they definitely... It's a cool idea that you have to kind of sneak your way in, and, you know, you're, you're you can be the the good person shepherd or the bad person shepherd you can force your way to benezia or you can kind of sneak your way in do some deals help some people out and and get your way there but uh maybe could have telegraphed some of it a little bit better right like there's like a as as these games have gone on there's like a there's less of a clarity issue just in like the ways that you can possibly solve any given problem um I would say Mass Effect 2, like, generally, it's kind of more binary, just in the, like, it gives you fewer ways to get things done. But, like, Mass Effect 3, there are these more elaborate ways, sort of like Novaria has. But they got better at just sort of, like, making it more apparent that there are other ways to do things, rather than just what's right in front of you. Right. So, now we get to the thing that I was really looking forward to talking about, because this is one of the parts that I really liked the first time I played Mass Effect, but on subsequent replays, and especially now, you can really see the age and the years turning. Mm. Uh, 
the Benezia fight. And let's not even say the Benezia fight itself, but... It's the... Uh, well, I mean, it's that like the too, fight in also... the room with Benezia. Like, it's not really a fight of her. I don't really... So, there, okay, there let's... is that, but one other thing. Again, first time I played Mass Effect, I didn't bring Liara, even when the game told me to. I was like, no, this is Garrus and Rex. These are my boys. We're rolling mm-hmm. up in there. We're taking out an Asari matriarch. There's some Asari commandos up in here. I just rescued Liara. She doesn't seem that bright. So <laughs> let's roll up in there. Me and my boy is going to get this done. Uh, the dialogue in this game, when you bring Liara along, it's it's like they spliced it into the dialogue that's going to happen, regardless right. of whether Liara is there or not. And so what happens is you have a conversation that feels natural and and two very different toned conversations uh, happening alongside each other if you bring Liara right. along. Because you have Benezia who's making all these, you know, threats and stuff like that. There's that whole dialogue section where she says, oh, you thought bringing my daughter along would let me take mercy on you and things like that. And uh, that doesn't happen if you don't bring Liara. She's just like, you ever fought an Asari commando unit before? And that initially made me really like her as a villain because she's just like no nonsense. She's like, I'm going to fuck your day up. (laughs) You have no idea what you're getting into. But when you bring Liara along, all of a sudden it becomes very stilted in a way that is very apparent and especially in the post-fight dialogue when you have killed her and she is dying she like goes back and forth between death and standing up and talking to you like it's a normal mass effect conversation (laughs) it's it's very odd i mean i'm glad i brought liara along because the actual the writing for those moments are are what ties novaria together for me and again we, we talk about these themes of uh, of motherhood and mother daughter relations and um, and family and things like that that really feel like they come to a head with that moment uh, when you have to fight Benezia but it, it just kind of ends up being like okay they spliced a really good story into a thing that has to happen to progress the story no matter what right my my thinking on that on that front like bringing Liara to the fight is I, it feels like they prioritized that fight over what to me seems like a more natural way of resolving that conflict if Liara is there because, and maybe this could have like it could have been behind like charm and intimidate checks maybe, but I felt like bringing Liara should have at least like given there another option, like to maybe not have to do the fight at all. Um, right. Like there are instances where like we learn that she. Can we talk about indoctrination already? Like, is that is that too early? Is that spoilers? Well, I mean, this is where this is where we learn kind of what we don't hear the word indoctrination right. yet, but it's where the seeds get planted. Right. It's where the idea gets planted that part of the reason why Saren is helping, uh, maybe not Saren, but part of the reason why Benezia and all these other people are helping Saren is that his ship has some sort of telepathic power that can even control an Asari matriarch. So somebody who is very old, very powerful, very wise, uh, can still be gradually taken over. 
And so that's where it starts. So yeah, it's it's fair game. Okay, so that's the thing that sticks out to me about Benezia specifically, and just sort of like the way that this thing plays out versus other indoctrinated people that we talked to about those series. There's usually a way to avoid conflict if you can make them see reason, and maybe mm-hmm. like if if it was sort of scaled this way, where like you might not have the charm and intimidate. I mean, let's use the exploit that we did to make it happen there, but Liara is like sort of a buffer for that to like have another way of resolving this where you didn't have to do that fucking fight because it just like it, it, you it, don't it, like destroying Venezia's power level <laughs> what is that what is, what is that what is she even doing she literally doesn't do anything like she she freezes you with biotics once in the entire thing she this strikes the that pose man that takes yep. power to open doors and strike poses yeah like I, like she literally does nothing like they, they they don't even like there's no like even like charitable good read of like what she is doing and to like have her have like a power level that is some reason goes down and shoot up her 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 lackeys i don't want to like and i don't eventually eventually you do fight her after you deplete the power level and destroy all the mobs and stuff you do actually get to fight her but it's like this weird sort of okay, we're all gathered around her and she's going to throw, like, one biotic thing out and we're just going to, like, pump a million bullets into like, her. And, like, by the time you get there, she functions like literally any other enemy. Yeah. And, yeah, boss design is something that this game definitely lacks in because there aren't really many bosses to start with. And Benezia is kind of the first major one i would say if you don't count the the armature that you have to fight in mm. liara's thing or the, or the krogan or anything uh who is again those are just normal enemies so when we talk about bespoke bosses uh benezia is one of the few among some others that will be coming up very soon but yeah it, it just ends up feeling like this weird uh you know, you're just doing a thing. And that was kind of the, the issue with Mass Effect 1's fights in general is that it, it just kind of threw the same enemy at mm. you over and over again just in new ways. And we will definitely be talking about that with the Pharaohs episode mm. because good lord. <laughs> but overall, uh, it is it is still kind of a cool thing. And then you wrap it up with the Rachni choice. There is another thing that you do. So the hot, the other hot labs thing that you're supposed to do, the neutron purge. Uh, I, I always end up doing that after Benezia, which I think is when you're supposed to do it. Oh, right? really? Or are you, are you supposed I mean, to do that? Maybe beforehand? I've, I've always done it beforehand. Like the feeling way of, cause like, huh? I never I really thought it, about that because like, I always do it afterwards. Well, because... what happens if you do it before is like you go, like you have to talk to the guards, uh, like at the right. team first. You go back down. That I I did the purge, and when I get up, the guards are like, "Sorry, Shepard, we've got orders from Benezi," and they open fire. Oh yeah, see, I do it afterwards, and it just locks off those sections, <laughs> so you can't go back to them. So you don't have to kill the guards or fight the guards at all, huh? I I actually never knew that. I just always did that part last, but. Because the the Ragnite Queen asks you like, "Hey, please, uh, you know, the my children." So, anyways, getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, the the big part of this mission is the Ragnite choice, where you are now face to face with the Ragnite Queen, who reanimates a dead Asari commando. Why is it always the Asari that are used for? 
creatures speaking through things? Is is it just they have a, a better link to whatever the force is in Maybe. Mass Effect? <laughs> they <laughs> they have more spiritual, I guess. Like, I guess if you need something with like the mind power to like take on somebody else's thoughts, that's kind of that that makes sense. I guess that's thematically appropriate. The embrace eternity, mm. <laughs> which is one of my favorite parts every time. Because if you were just standing there and someone's telling you like, "Calm down, chill out, chill out," and then their eyes open and it's just pure darkness in abyss like a void and they're like embrace eternity i would not be calm anymore that would be a very alarming moment for me uh all anxieties would spike um (laughs) so uh but the ragnite queen i I like the way they write her dialogue because the whole song metaphor is kind of cheesy at first but then it it they they write it in a way that it doesn't feel incredibly uh, I don't know. It 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 doesn't feel overwritten. Mm. It, it it's just enough to give it flavor without it being dumb. It does occasionally get yeah, dumb, there, but <laughs> there's something like there are a couple other species like Hanar that like it's nice to hear somebody that has like sort of like a different not language per se, but just like they clearly have different like metaphors and like the way that they speak. And it makes things yeah. feel more alien, which is nice, because, like, the Asari, Krogan, Solarian, everyone else kind of talks basically the same. Um, so it is nice when something is a little feels a little more alien in that way. There's something I think about a lot, because I'm a weird person like this, uh, and I'm okay with admitting that on this podcast. So I think about idioms a lot. And, and idioms, for anybody listening who, who doesn't know, is, is just a, a phrase or saying that means that has inherent meaning but does not have that by itself it's it is given meaning through context and understanding and culture and so uh, it's as easy as stuff like um you know killing two birds with one stone and and stuff like that is an idiom uh an albatross around your neck is an idiom you wouldn't inherit like inherently a bird hanging around your neck doesn't mean anything but we have come to know that as something that is weighing on you and you need to get it off so uh i i think about that all the time because when you write dialogue for characters that aren't human in these mass effect games but they start to use idioms and colloquialisms and sayings that they would not have any basis or understanding for it it creates this weird thing where i'm like okay well you know maybe they've just been around humans long enough that they've picked it up and and that's sort of spread out I, i like to think about that stuff a lot because like, like you said, when you stumble across a Hanar or, or the Rachni or an Elcor or something like that, it, it makes you appreciate that everyone does not interpret this universe in the way that even, not much less I do, but like as humans do. And they express themselves differently. So that's, it's cool to have the Rachni there for, for all that. And, and as much as, as cheesy as all the, our song will be sung through the mm-hmm. ages and our our tempo and cadence and chorus and right. treble clef <laughs> uh, uh soprano i don't know uh, it's it's cool to have that but have you ever killed the rachni because i have always saved them because i feel like that is both the paragon and the renegade choice well so i've killed the rachni every time and really let me 
there's a lot of there's a lot of context that has to go into. Ken, this. we're trying to launch a Patreon, and Peta's <laughs> going to be on us now, and we can't afford Good. that. Okay, so let me. Where do you even start? Okay, so the problem is, I brought Liara. Ender Wigan over here. <laughs> I brought Liara because that, like we said, it's Caden convinced me. But normally, I always bring Caden to Rex. So for the context, the Rachni were a species that was like hostile that the Krogan wiped out. Um, my general mindset when I have those two characters with me being Caden and Rex is that Rex... Like, my, my headcanon of is that Rex convinced my shepherd that this is, like, a threat that he can stop. Um, and that plays into, like, if we're gonna get into, like, the really deep headcanon shit, shame okay. and sort of, like, gradual... Like, gradually shifting into more of a paragon as the series goes on is, like, integral to the character of Shepard for me. Because, like, he, like, the Ragnar is probably, like, one of the things that, like, I still, like, if I were to, like, start Mass Effect with a completely clean slate, I would not ever think of doing that. But it's sort of, like, I live with these things that I've, like, my, my thing is, like, I live with these things because that's the way that I had, like, my Shepard written as. Like, I, like, he lives with things that he's done, even if he regrets them later. Um, and so that's why I don't, like, necessarily ever try to get a better outcome out of anything that happens and it's like any choice I make throughout the, throughout the Normandy FM series is going to be the one I made when I played the game initially um and so yeah that's just kind of like where it is like I had Rex normally so like normally I hear somebody that's advocating like hey this species basically fucked the galaxy up at one point and so <laughs> many people died to like stop it from happening and you can, I guess, I don't know. Like, like I can't really justify it now, but it was sort of the mindset that I had 11 years ago. You are, you are Ender Wigan, my friend. You are, you're playing Ender's game, and you had the chance, you're given, you're given the egg, you're given the chance to revive a species, and instead of being like Ender and having remorse, you uh, just threw it on the ground and made an omelet out of it, so... Pretty much. Have you, ever, I, you've, have you read Ender's Game? I feel like I, everybody does at some point in their school life, but we, maybe I'm wrong. We did not at my Georgia high school, but I did see the movie. Uh, I don't. Okay, well, that's that's a much worse experience. Okay, well, that, that's <laughs> not fair. saying that Ender's Game is the peak of anything, that the pinnacle of anything, but it does. That movie maybe does miss a lot of things. <laughs> I will take your word for it. I don't remember that movie all that well. I remember not loving it. But that that was so long. Yeah. I don't remember why. It's a, um, a read Ender's game. I, I, I to all our listeners, I would not I would not dissuade you from reading Ender's game. Even though I again, it is context is important because Orson Scott Card is a very very bad man, and you mm. should not uh, celebrate that man. But I'm also somebody who considers one of the Ender's game books uh speaker for the dead one of my favorite books so it is a complicated thing so right ah uh, grasping with authorial intent <laughs> finally we're getting to it one of the things i did want to ask almost kind of relates to authorial intent here so you you bring up role-playing kind of headcanon stuff and the way that you played it initially and and the way you play mass effect in general and i think this is one of the main places where you and I differ the most on Mass mm-hmm. Effect because it, and I've always been curious about this 
I feel like the way that a lot of these games are designed, and even games nowadays are designed, uh, the idea of the true ending, of the quote-unquote best ending, and the idea that you want to do something and complete things along a set path, and there is... Uh, whenever you have choices in a game, it's really hard because you end up with this situation where any choice you give that's that's going to be a flat-out positive or negative, you, you know, either... Let's say, for example, some Rachni. The Rachni live or the Rachni die, and that will have consequences. So this one ends up becoming this, okay, well, if I kill them now, I won't be able to experience anything later that might have happened that exists with them whereas if if i if i keep them alive maybe there will be something cool that happens later in the series that i'll get to see and i feel like the inherent fact that you are playing this thing and that content could potentially be limited behind those choices ends up funneling you down a path that is you know inherently uh paragon is inherently uh you you want to be doing the best for everything and, and that happens again in mass effect 2 when you have the 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 suicide mission and you you want to ideally save everyone and again in mass effect 3 and maybe i think why uh if you really want to get into my galaxy brain takes here why a lot of people still have issue with the ending of mass effect 3 is that they had kind of been trained that no matter what you can get a best ending out of these games and finally, in Mass Effect 3, they said, uh, no, you just got to choose an ending. And they each have their upsides and downsides, but there is not a quote-unquote best ending where everything happens. And again, I am cannibalizing content that is very far down the road for us. But well, By uh, the time that we get there, it'll be, like, it'll be a long, forgotten memory so we can oh, do it again. Oh, yeah. I, but I just always think about the way that these Bioware games kind of you know do they want you to do a best ending it feels like they kind of do it feels like they want you to go for that you know again to use like a visual novel term because that's where it gets used a lot the the true route and stuff like that and the the best route and all that sort of thing where you get the best of everything because you have beaten all the other routes and and you're this i mean that's even a thing (laughs) one of our old podcasting moments between me and ken is a, uh, a a dating sim that Ken played where you are playing through all these different storylines and there's a time traveling dude in it that has kind of experienced all these things where all these other timelines have gone wrong and that gets played up again in other visual novels like Steins Gate and uh, Muv Love and things like that and it turns into this thing where you're trying to game it to where you can get the best potential outcome and it's this like really alluring fantasy to be able to say i have seen all the paths that i could have taken and i chose the best one it's the one that we want for ourselves in our lives Mm. but is is bioware funneling you towards a best path or i don't know that mass effect is that kind of thing that doesn't really hold up with like the moral structure of these games i don't think because like it's not really about like what is the best ending or the best choice it's just more about like what you feel in the moment is right um, and that's, like I said, it kind of plays into how I play Mass Effect. It's just like, I got, like, I got to Mass Effect 3 or Mass Effect, or even just Mass Effect 2, like, and choices I made didn't pan out the way that, like, like, the, they weren't the best, op- quote-unquote, best option. Um, mm-hmm. And, like, I kind of, you know, I ate dirt for some of it. But 
I don't know, it's like, I don't really view Mass Effect as this sort of, like, looking for, like, the best possible outcome. Like, sure, there are some things, like, the suicide mission, which I guess there is ostensibly a best possible outcome, but not necessarily, like, like, the loyalty missions in Mass Effect 2, like, you don't make, or at least I don't make decisions based on whether I think that this is going to, like, have content that relates to it later in Mass Effect 3. I don't necessarily, like, I'm, I'm sure there's, there's probably a lot of stuff I missed out on in Mass Effect 2 and 3 because I killed people in Mass Effect 1. Um, but to me, like, that's not necessarily, like, I'm not looking for the best ending. I'm, I'm making, I'm looking for the ending that just culminates in everything that I've done. Mm-hmm. It feels like, again, an inherent issue with creating any sort of choice-based thing in a medium where achievements and trophies and, uh, you know, results are so frequently sought after. This is a results-oriented medium where, you know, you want to to beat the boss, you want to do the thing, and for a long time it really felt like massive or mass effect bioware in general and and then things like uh classic rpgs and before them and then later on telltale and and things like that started to try and change that and say no we're not really trying to create a challenge that you overcome we're just trying to tell a story and you are going to experience that story did you ever see that uh, i think it was like on the steam forums or something it was a screenshot that i've seen like passed around uh, about her story and uh, there was a person that was like yes. how do i like how do i finish her story and somebody's like uh, you don't really finish the game you just kind of like explore all the videos and all the evidence you have in front of you until you realize that you're satisfied and somebody's like how do i know what i'm satisfied and, and it's that, like that just fucks me up every day man <laughs> how do i know i'm satisfied and big, that's kind of just, big mood that, <laughs> And that's just kind of, like, where I stand on something like Mass Effect, Dragon Age, and the most choice-based games that are not necessarily this entirely binary good or evil thing. It's like, I'm not looking for the quote-unquote best ending. I'm looking for the ending that I feel reflects my viewpoints when I'm in the shoes of Commander Shepard. Yeah. It's a tough thing. So, we make the Rachni choice. Ken mercilessly slays them all. And now, surely there is no way Rachni will ever surface again in the Absolutely Mass Effect not. universe. No way. That was the last one, and uh, that was it. Uh, no more. So when we, you know, when we get to an episode of Mass Effect Three, Ken's just going to have to sit out because uh, he won't get to. Uh, to play Absolutely that. not. Nope. Yeah, they just they just they remove that. You know, they're yep. like, nah, nah, you don't get content. <laughs> and uh, on my end, I save them because I am not a cold heartless bastard but really it's because i want the content i'm here for the content i'm here for the podcast as we say on norm dfm do it for the podcast so you wrap it all up you take a very unceremonious tram ride which i always thought was kind of strange that you just kind of go on the tram and then it's it's it it looks like it's going to be normal i don't know what i was expecting like just a button that says like when you click on the tram it'll be like go back to the normandy but like it did seem kind of unceremonious and Mm -hmm. then once again we are back on the ship and so with our with our final moments here we're going to wrap up some other uh let's say side things because there are a few side things that are kind of important at this point a lot of the citadel missions were let's say that they just ended last time because i thought that there were more citadel missions that pop up but when i went back the only one i found was uh, sorry, diplomacy, 
which is the one where you talk to the Asari sister and then you go to another planet and you're, you think you're rescuing her sister from slavers, but you're actually killing her sister who is the slaver and uh, helping her out of a bind. And that was just kind of another like, hey, you know, go do this thing for me. It was maybe a little bit better written than some of the other ones in this right. uh, game were, but it was kind of that point I hit where I was like, Cool, I think I'm done with side missions. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that one specifically is like, I bought Shepard's involvement more than I did in other things. Like, there's the one that we blazed over a couple episodes ago about, like, this uh, mother and uncle that are, like, arguing over whether she's going to do, like, gene therapy. And I was like, that's not Shepard's business. Why is, why is this a thing that I'm bothering you with? But she's like, I need somebody that can, like, kind of handle this off the record. And if since you are a specter, you can do that. Um right. But yeah, like the, the side quests in general are starting to like fade away. Like there aren't that many left, or at least not as much as I've seen. Like I still, I visit revisited Conrad Werner because he was there. Um, yet I can't remember if he asked for the picture this time or last time. But yeah, like I, I posed for him, so that was fine. Um, and then there are a couple that I think we're gonna end up talking about later. Like they, there is a first mention of Cerberus in one that is coming up. I didn't do it, but I'm gonna like save it for the next episode but I yeah i haven't even I'm... received the uh the prompt for that yet so mm, okay okay might have to do, seek that out a little bit because right. i i obviously do want to play that one because that sets some things up for later but yeah uh the the one major one that i think we both knocked out this week was the uh the loyalty missions for right. for garrison rex and this is kind of the first hint that we have of what will eventually become a uh a bioware staple right. <laughs> let's say uh which is the loyalty thing and so i have a lot of thoughts about why mass effect 2 does loyalty missions better than any other game that bioware has made and for very specific reasons uh and, and that kind of feels like when they had their first stab at it as well which we will get to eventually i promise <laughs> but uh for now the loyalty missions are just kind of these things that you can do that uh, are, are, are nice little things to help out your friends and, and they don't really as far as I know they don't ha- carry any dialogue changes or, or consequences or anything like that they're I know just kind Rex's of does. nice things does I his affect does. the choice on Vermeer? yes oh okay so that it, that's more like a sort of um, a pasco thing like you don't even have to like really have the the fight I guess but that's a, that's a conversation for another episode um, yeah. Basically, it lets you circumvent that problem in general. But that, okay. yeah, that I did a, not know that. But yeah. but Garrus's was like it was just sort of this. It, it just felt like another mission that Garrus just happened to like ask to be on. Um, I don't that know, one like actually they're... ended up being funnier than I thought it would be because you you get to Garrus's. So Garrus's is he, the story he tells you is great and still makes me wish that there was some sort of like C-Sec mass effect game in the vein of la noir and things like that where uh you are investigating crimes on the citadel because the whole story about this doctor who has been selling illegal organs on the black market and they find out that he's been growing them inside his uh assistants and uh all these just very gruesome svu stories and the the way that they they set that up is is really i was like okay this is this is messed up this is a bad guy we're gonna go take this bad guy down this is like some 
seedy crime evil shit right now and we're gonna go take care of it and you go and you fight a bunch of husks which was weird because i was like i don't think they call them husks i think they just call them like abominations or something like that yeah it, it, it was something weird but it was like no these they they even i don't think they even skinned them with a new texture or anything like that it was just the husks that the geth mm-hmm. make but uh and then you you find him and you have this sort of dialogue option where you can either kill him right there or choose to take him in and uh i always choose to try and take him in alive i, I don't know what you choose but oh he did he did you just shoot him right there. Yep. Or like Garrus when you did. when you choose that option, does it? Do you not have to fight him afterwards? Oh, you, oh right, you do. Like if, but if he's like got no shields or anything, so it's like it's yeah. So that was like the laugh part of it was I was like, okay, let's take him in. We're gonna arrest him, and he's and he's like, okay, and then it ends, and like immediately guns are drawn and a health bar pop. I'm talking like the second the dialogue ends, all of a sudden you are in combat. And he's just running to his desk and everybody, like, my squad mates just mowing down. <laughs> and it's, it's almost slapstick the way that it happens <laughs> because there isn't this ceremonious, like, just kidding, I'm turning on you and you gotta fight me now. It's, it's just like, haha, bam. <laughs> yeah. Like, sideshow Bob stepping on a rake kind of stuff. And, uh... So, yeah, that that was all kind of silly, but I do like that that one, Rex's feels a little unceremonious, you know, just getting his armor back and him being like, cool, I got my armor, thanks, Shepard. But yeah. uh, Garrus's at least, plays into his character a little bit where he's like, oh, why'd you, if you, if you decide to try and uh, take him in alive, uh, he's like, see, it just happened anyways, we just killed him anyways because he tried to kill us. And you can kind of be like, well, that's, you know, the difference makes all the difference because, you know, we attempted to do the right thing and then he forced our hand instead of us making the decision right. for him. And so I, I, I do like that part. I, I think that's a little more interesting and, again, kind of plays into Garrus's overall character development and especially kind of sets up the sort of things that are going to be happening later on in the series with different loyalty missions, uh depending on the the tone of them is different depending on two and three uh right i always felt like i'll, I'll just say it here because i'll bring it up again in, in two and probably again in three but the reason why i love two's uh loyalty missions are it you're kind of doing them all before the suicide mission so it feels very much like these the, the loyalty that they're giving you is that they are settling all their affairs before they potentially die and right that carries so much weight with it that even things like, you know, I don't like Jacob at all. I, I, I don't like him as a character, but his loyalty mission ends up being a little bit more interesting just because it is like, this is the last, you know, he's got to settle all his affairs and then he might die on this mission. So he's got to be able to fully commit to the mission and not be concerned about, you know, like, am I going to make it through this or not? And whereas Mass Effect 3, the loyalty missions feel a little bit more like, these are kind of the moments you get to spend with your pals just hanging out, you know, like we're going to give a, a nice little sweet note to the end of everything. And because it was the known finale to Mass Effect, they they kind of did that. So you have all these different things where it's like, okay, you get to have your last little moment with this character and you get to go do something that reminds you of the old days and, and have fun and do fun things and things like that. But um, that's 
that's neither here nor there. But that's that's the reason why I feel like in Mass Effect 2 they really hit their stride with the loyalty missions, whereas in this one they aren't even really loyalty missions, they're just kind of side quests. That happen to involve... Three. Yeah, that they're just happen to involve characters. Right. Uh, the... uh, yeah. No, no, you go ahead. You go ahead. Well, I was just going to, like... I think we need to, like, kind of... What is probably going to be, like, I hope to God the last conversation about the way that Mass Effect 1 starts to, like, try and funnel you into relationships in ways that... Hey, look, that was what like... I was going to segue into. Look, look, at, look at us go. We're synergy. Right here. <laughs> um, oh, boy. Oh, boy. I'll let you I'll let you take the driver's seat on this one, Ken, because okay, we just... kind of came up with the same thing, but for very different reasons. <laughs> so, like... I, at this point, they start to like phone you into relationship conversations that sort of are supposed to basically like lock in certain relationships. Um, God, okay. So you're you're actually planning on having a romance in this game with Liara, correct? Oh yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Okay. My since they won't let me and Caden be together in this game, my my I'm I'm not getting with anybody because my shepherd's gay. So mm-hmm. we we get back from Novaria. And I go to talk to Liara, and I'm like, hey, your mom's dead. How are you doing? How are things? Um, and she's like, I'm okay. Like, my mother, like, I lost my mother a long time ago, basically, is the gist of what she's saying. And then she starts to talk to me about how she's, like, uh, she's interested in me, not just because of the Prothean cipher in my head, just because, like, in general. And then she's, but then she says, but I didn't want to act on it because I thought there might be some relationship between you and Ashley. And I was like, literally, why? Like, why would you? Why would you think that? Like, I I stood in the room with her once. Is that what? Is that what it is? Is that what you think humans do to like show affection? Is it be in the room with each other? And then so I'm like, no, like the, they they don't like the dialogue will not. There's no clarity to it because like the options are like, um, Ashley's special to me. It's not that serious, or that's private. All three of which seem to be like, yeah, it's one, but like, it's like, yes, I'm admitting it. One or two, I think it's like a fling or we're flirting or something. Or three, that's none of your business. And it's none of those things. Like we literally are just not. We're we're not we're not a thing. And so I said it's not serious because that seemed to be like the closest. Like that that seemed to be the only one that sort of like implied that we weren't in a relationship. And thankfully, Shepard says. Ashley and I are just friends. And I'm like, cool, great, thank you, thank you. And then Liara asks, but what about us? Do, is, was I wrong about the mutual attraction? I was like, yes, you were very much wrong about that. Goodbye. So, I go downstairs, or, like, not downstairs, down the elevator to talk to Ashley, and her sister is, like, they're on, like, some sort of, like, phone call. And she's like, I saw Shepard in the vids, he's cute. And I was like, yes, I am. I am very cute. You know who else thinks so? Caden. <laughs> and he's gonna think I'm real cute in Mass Effect 3 when we're boyfriends. So, then at the end of the conversation, like, I say something, like, Ashley's supposed to talk about how she believes in God still, which, like, sort of, it... It's maybe one of my favorite conversations to sum up, like, who Ashley's character is at this point in the series, because she all of a sudden just launches into this thing. You know, she mentions, like, oh, you know, my my father is dead, but I'm sure he's looking down on us. Uh, from from heaven or whatever, and and all your options are basically like, say what now? And she just kind of launches into, uh, I believe in God, sir. Is that a problem, sir? <laughs> and that whole conversation becomes this whole thing where where it's like you can just be like this casual shepherd, like, uh, you know, you know, you can say like, oh, I, you know, I do believe in a 
in a higher power or or i i believe in religion but i don't know or, or you can be like no i don't really believe in it but that's okay you know or yeah i'm not gonna you can believe in whatever you want i don't really care um or you can be like no you get that get god off the there is no god on this ship except for me <laughs> i am god no gods are kings only shepherd <laughs> That's that's my, our new tagline for this podcast: is no <laughs> gods or kings, only Shep. Um, yeah. yeah, it's it's so, this ridiculous plot, like just line. And oh, so by the way, if you're playing a female shepherd uh, and you walk in on that conversation, they say that Caden uh, is the cute one. Well, uh, so they, they sister is real good at, at spotting cute gays. She's real good at that. Um, clearly, I, I do want to hop back real quick before we go down another Ashley rabbit hole um one of the so my my situation was the same where i am a i'm a female shepherd who's trying to romance liara and i'm talking to uh caden and he's like oh is there something going on between you and liara and i'm just like hell yeah and sorry bud (laughs) wrong tree (laughs) um in in my own personal headcanon uh my shepherd is bisexual in my headcanon because that's just i feel like my shepherd is all about being open to the galaxy and just always up for new adventures but uh look no offense to you ken but uh caden is not my shep's type you know he's well especially so this is what i wanted to veer it into and and i don't know how many uh dialogues you've had with caden up to this point I, the I've way had they, all of them. They are neutered for male chef, I've noticed. Yes. And the way they write his character in Mass Effect 1 is supremely, supremely straight. <laughs> like, right down the middle of the road. Uh, he's, he's like, I was really looking forward to going out into into space and, and getting babes and picking up chicks and, and yeah. doing biotics and stuff like that. So I've always... I've always wondered if, A, if you've played through the game as a female shepherd to kind of see what that stuff is like, but also that they just hardcore pivot this. It's not even hardcore because Caden, I believe he's bisexual in three, right? right? Right. Um, But they just kind of pivot him into, like, from being kind of the, I guess what you would call what they imagine is this female romance option this this is the basic dude this is the the guy and uh whereas ashley is the girl and liara is the alien girl (laughs) um and they kind of pivot that out into something else and so i was just kind of wondering like what your thoughts are on how they kind of turn caden from the uh straight male option into what he becomes uh in three so I haven't, I never played a female shepherd, but I have seen all that dialogue. And I've, like, they talk, the, he talks about that girl that he, like, saved at, at Biotic yeah, Camp. Yeah, that was, yeah. that was mainly what I was thinking about. Yeah, they don't have that conversation with male shepherd, which is messed up in its own way. Like, I, like, even if Caden's not going to eventually be this bisexual option, why, why deprive me of that? Like, why, like, I wonder how much, like... Why did they decide that was only a thing that would come up in a romantic context? Right, right. I mean, like, I don't like to maybe point out that he does like women. I don't know. I it it's just weird to me, like the, the way that they gate, like what seems like basic stuff, 
uh, like towards just romance stuff. Like there are there are conversations in later games with characters that are like, it, like there's actually like romantic context to any of these things, and that makes sense to like hold off for people that are specifically going for that. But just like basic stuff, like for like Ashley and Caden both, like if you're playing as the same sex as those characters, you miss out on a lot of stuff. And I wonder to what degree that plays into decisions made later in this game. Just like you get the bare minimum of this character, so like why would you? prefer them i guess yeah we'll be we'll be talking about that in an episode soon but now i'm going to be thinking about that when i play and i wonder what the numbers are on male chefs who choose one option versus female chefs who choose the other option right and and whether that was affected by the fact that that romance but even that you know in-depth dialogue and character development is locked because right now in my game you know, I can still have those conversations with Ashley. You know, I can have the um, the, the the God talk and all that, but I don't have those, uh, or you don't have the same with, with Caden as a right. dude chef. So it's just, it's strange, again, strange choices. Strange, strange know, choices. Like, it's just, it is bizarre. Like, I mean, we, we talk about this every episode, but I think it feels so apparent compared to where... Bioware is now where like they don't gate shit like this. They don't railroad you down certain paths like this anymore. And I don't, I don't recall like it's been a very very long time since I played Kotor or Jade Empire, but I don't remember them ever being like that. So I don't know why Mass Effect was this sort of deviating game that was very. It made so many assumptions about the way the ways that you wanted to play this game, and I just I don't understand it. More fun revelations for those uh, listening into the podcast. It has been a very long podcast. I think our longest episode yet, for good reason, because Novaria is quality content. For those who have listened all the way in, some more revelations. I have played, but never beaten, KOTOR 1. And I have never played KOTOR 2. And I have never played Jade Empire. I did play Jade Empire, and I beat that several times. I like Jade Empire a lot. I don't know how it's aged, but... If you if donate you, to the Patreon. <laughs> yeah, if you go to patreon.com slash normdfm, you will see that one of our stretch goals is to make me play these video games. <laughs> so if that's something that interests you, head on over to patreon.com slash normdfm. Give a little bit of your heart and a little bit of your wallet. Uh, I Just to like wrap up this sort of like, this like what part four of our Mass Effect 1 relationship talk. I did in the conversation with Ash, like talking about her believing in God. I said, uh, "Do it, believe whatever you want. I'm your commanding officer. It's not my business what you do." And then she says, "Just my commanding officer, huh?" And I was like, "Yep." And then she, she's like, "Oh, well, we'll see about that." And I was like, "No, you will not. I swear, my shepherd's swatting pussy off like flies." <laughs> Ashley, she knows what she wants. She's not gonna be deterred. She's gonna, she's gonna. Get that shepherd, you know? She's, no, she's, she's not. My, my dick has retracted into my body. <laughs> like a... Like a frightened turtle. <laughs> on, <laughs> on that note, we're going to end uh, this part four, this episode four of Norm DFM podcast, because clearly it's only going to get worse from here. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're, we're at the delirious point. Yeah. Uh, so um. this, is, this is a good point to stop. So next episode will be pharos we are going to wrap it up we're not going to go straight to vermeyer even though we got the little tip that uh things are are going down in vermeyer we're going to head to pharos first because uh look there's there's some lovecraftian shit going on there and we just got to make sure that uh that everybody's okay even though really (laughs) 
from what I remember, has no actual bearing on the plot of this game. Literally anything. Like, it's... I'm, most tertiary. <laughs> we should just skip it. We should just go to Vermar. Uh, we should we should make sure they're okay. Besides, I need <sighs> a forum to complain about another boss fight. So That, that is fair. All right. uh, we okay. will see you all on Pharos next week. And be sure to tune in, check it out, and... If you like what you're what you're hearing, subscribe to us. Check out the Patreon and uh, get engaged with us. You know we're always open to uh, to chat with y'all on the Twitters and on the social media. Twitter is a hellscape, but that doesn't mean you can't use it to put some good in this world by talking to us about Mass Effect. So let me tell you about what Caden is actually the best romance in Mass Effect. <laughs> let me tell you. That'll be it for us. Until next time, Space Voyagers. We will see you on Normandy FM. Dormidia film. Dormidia film. Dormidia film.